This past summer, two churches prayerfully sought God's guidance, and our best understanding was that he would lead us to come together to form this new church, the Mission Church in Issaquah. And so here we are. I think uh, perhaps in different ways it's hard for us to appreciate how, how different we are as a new church, that we are now a new church. What has not changed is the single biblical mission that we both shared even before we emerged, and that is to go and make disciples of all people, just as Jesus taught us. Every really biblical church has that mission at its heart. Now, there are different ways of expressing it and articulating it. The way we articulate that mission for our church is this. We want to reach and equip people with the gospel. That's what we have come together to do. The question is, now what? Now that we've come together, here we are at this new beginning. Now what? 2023 is really our first year of working together as this new church here. Yes, we've been meeting together since summer, but this merger thing is a big process. In fact, behind the scenes, it is still working out with the state and all the logistical legal aspects of it. It's still in process. And so 2023 will be our first year together as this new mission church in Issaquah. And so our leadership team has been asking God, okay, God, now what? We've come together. What is it that we should do? What should be our first priorities as a church this first new year together? What should be the next steps for us? Our team has not come down from the mountaintop meeting with God with stone tablets written on by the finger of God to say, Thus saith the Lord, this is what you should do. But we do humbly submit to you what we feel and understand to be what our first priority should be. We call it five bold steps. You may have noticed that in the bulletin board. Great job. I'm not sure who did that. I would assume maybe Becca did that on the bulletin board. She's downstairs, I think, with the kiddos. But uh, you might notice that on the bulletin board, these five bold steps. And, and here they are. Let's just kind of review them real quickly. The first one is this. Grow. We want to grow a culture of discipleship through intentional spiritual formation. In Ephesians 4, Paul talks about the church working in such a way as that all the believers in Christ can grow into spiritual maturity. Or as Paul talks about it, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And there's some specific ways we as a church want to try to help facilitate that kind of, of, of formation of spiritual disciplines that can help us to grow. The second bold step is equip. Equip and provide opportunities for people to effectively share the gospel. In Acts 1, Jesus said that all of his followers would be witnesses to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And as Christ's followers today, we want to help equip our church to provide opportunities for us to do that. And there's some specific ways that we're going to be pursuing that. The third bold step is invest. Strategically invest in our children and youth to become lifelong followers of Jesus. Um, being a witness and making disciples, followers of Christ, begins in our home with our own kids, doesn't it? Probably all of us have seen statistics of how many children grow up in a Christian home 
and then later leave the church and leave their faith as young adults. And so we want to help to equip and to work with our parents to help anchor and root our kids in their faith in Jesus Christ so that they will follow Jesus and love Jesus with all of their heart for all of their lives. And we want to, in some specific ways, work to help. Fourth bold step is this. Update. Update our facility to maximize our church as a light of the gospel in the community for the next 50 years. This building that we're in right now is a tool, it's a resource that God has provided for us to use in the work of the gospel. This building was built probably about 50 years ago. It was significantly remodeled 25 years ago, and it's time for a new remodel. And so in a couple of weeks, we're going to be showing you some, some diagrams, some architectural drawings to show the kinds of updates that we're going to be pursuing. Then the fifth bold step is expand. Expand our reach in the community through our online presence. I was speaking with a group of pastors about this this last week, and the consensus was almost, ne almost never these days does someone just show up at a church without first looking online, maybe looking at the church's website, usually watching some sermons and, and some worship services to get a sense of what the church is like. And, and so there are many people who may not welcome us coming to their house and knocking on their front door, but they are looking for personally impactful answers to questions in their life, and they would welcome us speaking into their lives online. And this is kind of like Paul when he talks in 1 Corinthians 9 about becoming all things to all people so that by all means I might save some. So we want to push our presence online in a meaningful way. And so these are the five bold steps that we feel this first year together we should pursue. Grow, equip, invest, update, expand. And I'd like to begin with... Uh, the, uh, as Pastor Zach and I are beginning now a five-week sermon series where we're going to be talking about each of these five bold steps to see why we're doing this and what the Bible might say to speak into how we should go about doing these things, I'd like to begin with the very first of these bold steps, and that is grow. To grow a culture of discipleship through intentional spiritual formation. And I'd like to invite you to open your Bible to our teaching text today, which is in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. If you don't have a Bible, there's one right there. It's page 1018. We're going to be looking at 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. Does that sound familiar to anyone? I told Sandy I should bring a dollar to give to anyone who can remember a couple of you shaking your heads. It's the very passage we looked at just three weeks ago. You may be shocked to know in that one teaching session, we didn't exhaust everything in this passage of Scripture. There's some things that can speak into our life from it. So we're going to come back to what is arguably the most seminal and foundational passage about spiritual formation in the New Testament. Discipleship that is, the process of becoming more like Jesus, happens through intentional spiritual formation. Now, I've been a lot of great books written about this over the years. A number of years ago, uh, there were a couple of writers who really kind of helped generate a new interest in spiritual disciplines and spiritual formation that were particularly impactful for me. 
Their names are uh, Dallas Willard and Richard Foster. And they've written some books that, that often point to this very passage that we're going to look at as our teaching passage today. So if you have 2 Peter verse, uh, chapter 1, I'd like to invite you to stand with me as I read our teaching text. 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, Peter writes, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling in election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for inspiring Peter to write this so foundational and insightful passage about intentional spiritual formation. And we ask you today to speak into our hearts and our lives as we think about this. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, you could simply outline this section of Scripture into three sections. Verses 3 and 4 talks about God's role in our spiritual formation which is huge. He plays a huge role in shaping us to become like Christ. And then verses 5 through 7 talk about our responsibility in intentional formation, which is required. We have to do something for that to happen. And then verses 8 through 11 talk about the outcome of intentional spiritual formation, how, how becoming more like Christ, growing in our faith, touches our life and shapes our life. Now, Peter says it negatively, but you could say the same thing positively, and it's this. We become effective and fruitful spiritually when we grow in Christ. And that's a desirable thing, isn't it? So what I want to focus on this morning is spiritual disciplines that transform us. It's what Peter refers to when he talks about every effort to supplement, make every effort to supplement. He's talking about disciplines, things that that help us, habits that help us. And so there are three things I'd like to call your attention to in this passage. First, to paraphrase uh, Richard Foster, it's this. Spiritual disciplines or habits are a means of receiving God's grace. These are means of receiving God's grace. It's God that changes us to become more like Jesus Christ. This is not a self-help kind of fix-yourself kind of project. It is a gift. It is an expression of grace, God's grace at work in our life for us to grow, to become more like Jesus Christ. Notice God's pervasive role in how we 
are transformed to become more like Christ. Look again at verses 3 and 4. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to be His own, uh, to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Notice, it's God's power that grants us everything we need for life and godliness. That is everything we need to grow to become more like Jesus Christ. It's God's power. It is His precious and very great promises through which we are changed. And then finally, it is His divine nature which we become partakers of to become more like Jesus. So it's the work of God's grace in our life that transforms us and helps us to grow spiritually. So Paul can write in Philippians... He writes in Philippians chapter 1, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, and that's God, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So it's the work of God. It's the grace of God that not only saves us, but then begins the work of changing us to become more like Jesus. But it's not automatic. We have a role to play in this. We have to pursue spiritual disciplines, we need to practice spiritual habits by which we receive God's saving, uh, God's uh, um, uh, transforming work and grace to change our character. There is an um, illustration from history, a metaphor from history that really helps me understand this. Some of you may be familiar with this, but during the Second World War, when the Italian forces were driven out of Eteria, which is in northern Africa, in an effort to make the harbor unusable to the Allies, the Italians took great barges, they filled them with concrete, and they sank them at the mouth of the harbor so you couldn't enter the harbor. Now, when the Allies came in, they wanted to make the harbor usable, and so they tried to pull those sunken barges out of the way, and they tried winches, and the winches were useless to try to get those big barges out. And so they came up with an idea. They took gas tanks. Now, I don't mean like you have in your house. I'm talking about these huge, massive gas tanks that hold hundreds of thousands of gallons of fuel. You see these in oil refineries, those big round tanks. They took those tanks, they sealed them so that they would float. And when the tide was low, at its lowest point at low tide, they floated them out over the barges and chained them to... Um, the barges sunk beneath. And when the tide came in and the water raised up, uh, it pulled those barges out of the sucking mud below. So at high tide, they could simply float them out of the way. Now think about that. The power involved in the tide. You have the great heaving ocean being pulled on by the irresistible gravitational force of the moon which is a part of this, this cosmos, this, this sidereal system that just is irresistible. We can build dikes and water. We can build walls to try to contain the water, but we can't stop the tide. Nothing can stop the tide. And the power of the tide was used to pull out those barges. Now, the chains that connected those tanks to the barges the chains I'm using as a metaphor for our spiritual disciplines. 
that tie us to the power of God's grace at work in our life. And so our, our spiritual habits are those things that connect us to the power of God to change us. They become the means, if you will, by which we receive God's transforming grace in our life. So it's, it's God's power and it's our intentional efforts, our connecting to that power, doing things to connect to that power. This is why Paul can write what he writes in Philippians a little bit later in chapter 2. He says this, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, here it is, our part, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for, and here's God's part, it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. There's nothing John Bell can do to make himself more like Jesus Christ. But I can connect to the power of God. I can have spiritual disciplines, spiritual formations, intentionally things that open my life to the transforming power of God to change me to become more like Jesus Christ. And that power can pull us out of the things we get stuck in. I wonder about you. Are you stuck in some things in your life? Are there some ways maybe you're stuck? Maybe it's some attitudes. Maybe it's some behaviors. Maybe it's, dare I say, sinful attitudes and behaviors in your life that you just can't seem to get free from. Maybe you're just stagnant, where you just are just kind of stuck and you're stagnant. Uh, maybe you've lost your love, your passion for following Christ. It is these kinds of disciplines that God uses to unstick us and to pull us out of the thing where we're stuck. And so spiritual habits, spiritual disciplines are a means of getting unstuck, as it were. Here's how Dallas Willard writes about it. The disciplines or activities of mind and body purposefully undertaken to bring our personality and total being into effective cooperation with the divine order. They enable us more and more to live in a power that is strictly speaking beyond us as we yield ourselves to God. And so these are means by which we receive God's life-changing kind of grace. Now, there's, what do we do? What are the chains that we need? What do we need to do? Here's the second truth we see. We must intentionally pursue spiritual disciplines to grow in our faith. If you want to grow in your faith, which I, I bet probably every one of us, you wouldn't be here today if you didn't. We want to grow in our faith. We have to intentionally pursue spiritual disciplines for that to happen. Look with me at verse 5. Peter writes, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Now notice three important words in verse 5. You see verse 5? Make every effort. This is where he's talking about those kinds of disciplines we're talking about. The characteristics that Peter goes on to list are characteristics that only happen if we work at them. He returns to this in verse 10. He says, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. Notice that. More diligent. He's talking about hard work, isn't he? If, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Be all the more diligent. So we have to choose to put into our life some practices and some disciplines that connect us with God's powerful work. 
Last week, Pastor Zach talked about deciding, not just desiring, but deciding and doing things. And, and Pastor Zach, you talked about that involving being very specific about what you were going to do, how you're going to do it, when you're going to do it. This is what I'm talking about, these kinds of specific disciplines. Um, let me put it in business terms to kind of help illustrate. Probably many of you involved in business are familiar with the concept of uh, lead and lag measures and goals. You have lead and you have lag measures. We're usually better at the lag measures. A lag goal or a lag measure would be something like this. You might say, oh, I'm going to lose 10 pounds over the next six months. Now, that's a good goal, isn't it? You can measure that, can't you? You can step on the scales every day and see if you're making progress. But that goal in and of itself has nothing to do with helping you actually achieve what you're trying to achieve. It has no effect on that goal, right? That's a lag measure or a lag goal. Now, a lead measure or a lead goal would be something like this. I'm going to reduce the amount of calories I take every day by 200 calories. I'm going to consume 200 less calories every day, and I'm going to go to the gym and get on the treadmill for an hour five days a week, and that's my goal. Now, that goal you can also measure, right? You can keep track of your calories. You can keep track of how often you go to the gym and how much time you spend on the treadmill, but that goal actually affects achieving it. That will result in something. And so these are the kind of disciplines I'm talking about, disciplines that, that are going beyond just desire. Probably all of us want to be more like Jesus, but are we doing things that affect our becoming more like Christ? We really understand this when it comes to health, like the example I just gave you. And Paul ties those two in the passage that Zach read just a few moments ago. And I want to read again the passage that uh, Pastor Zach started off in worship with. 1 Corinthians 9 says this, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we and imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. Paul's talking about intentional discipline practices, isn't he? Now, I don't know about you. I don't like that. <laughs> In fact, I get kind of scared and uncomfortable anytime anyone mentions the word discipline. But understand these disciplines are different. These, difference, these, these disciplines are not onerous, our trying to do it ourselves. Think about how Jesus talked about it. Think about how Jesus talked about his yoke. When you put a yoke on an animal like an ox or a horse, that's to do hard work. But notice what Jesus says about his yoke in Matthew 11. Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke. Think about disciplines, right? Spiritual practices and disciplines. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. These kind of spiritual disciplines I'm talking about are life-giving and liberating. They're not our striving. It's our putting those chains 
to the power of God so the power of God can lift us and transform us and impact us. Again, Dallas Willard says, um, asks this question. I thought about asking you this question, it's this. As you think about these spiritual disciplines, are you willing this year to begin to intentionally pursue spiritual disciplines to grow, to become more like Christ? Now, I thought about that question, and then I read the way Dallas Willard asked the question. He asked the same question in a, a much more pointed way. So here's how I'm going to blame it on him, because this is how he asked it, okay? Are you planning to continue in sin, or are you planning to become perfect? See, any way that I'm not like Jesus is, in some shape, form, or fashion, sin, isn't it? And so the question is, if I'm not intentionally planning to do things to become more like Jesus, the de facto matter is I am planning to just continue in sin. And so we have to choose to put into our life disciplines that connect us to the power of God to change us. What might be some of those disciplines? Well, let me share with you, thirdly, three foundational spiritual disciplines. Paul writes to his young pastor friend Timothy, and he says, Rather, train yourself for godliness, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So the question I'm asking you is, how can we train ourselves to become more godly? How do we open our lives to receive God's grace? Uh, different people think different ways about these kinds of discipline. Dallas Willard writes about disciplines of abstinence, that is, Disciplines that help you not do the things that you ought not to do, that you might be doing. And he writes about disciplines of encouragement. Disciplines that help us do things that we haven't been doing, that we ought to do. Richard Foster talks about these disciplines in a different way. He talks about inward disciplines, outward disciplines, and corporate disciplines. But I'm a pretty simple guy. And I just want to share with you this morning three disciplines that I think are the most foundational and the most impactful over the years. This is what I've seen in my life and in the lives of others. And here are three disciplines, three action steps for you. If you want to tie those, these are chains that can connect us to the power of God and His grace to help us grow in Christ. And here's the first discipline, and it's this. Simply a daily time alone with God. A daily time alone with God where you Take time to come into God's presence. And, and it doesn't have to be long, but it can never be rushed. You can't rush time alone with God, even if it's going to be a brief time alone with God. And, and it involves thoughtful Bible reading and meaningful prayer. Thoughtful Bible reading. This is not something you can do driving to work, listening to the Bible and praying. I encourage you to listen to the Bible and pray when you drive. This is not something you can do on the bus. This is where you need to get a quiet place where for whatever length of time, now if you're new to this, if you haven't been practicing a daily time alone with God, don't go home and say, all right, I'm going to spend three hours in Bible reading and prayer. <laughs> That's like saying I'm going to get in shape by running and I'm going to go home and I'm going to run 10 miles for the first time in my life. <laughs> it won't go well, right? You start slow, you build up. I want to encourage you to set aside time each day just to get into God's presence, to thoughtfully look at his word. I mean, a lot of people like to take notes as they read through God's word. It's not trying to read. Gary, I appreciate what you said some months ago about 
taking more time, where you're not just trying to rush through a reading. If this is something that's just a check off on your things to do list in the course of a day, you're going to really miss out connecting with God. But to come into his presence to thoughtfully, even if you read, Gary, like you were saying, slow down and just read enough that you can think about it and, 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 and interact with what God is saying and pray with him. And, and I would encourage you, maybe you want to have a plan. I've known people that went home and they would just open their Bible every day, just boop, wherever it happened to open. And okay, that's maybe better than nothing, but not much. <laughs> I want to encourage you to have a plan. Have a plan for praying. I pray. There's, I kind of have a prayer plan, and there are things I pray for every day, and there are things I pray for on, on Sunday, and there are things that are on my Monday, and there are things that are on my Tuesday, and things that are on my Wednesday. And I kind of have a, a structure, a plan for the kinds of things that I pray for. So, so the first most impactful thing you can do is simply a daily time alone with God. And I would encourage you. Now, some of you have been doing this, and I would say this. If you feel stuck in your time alone with God, change it. Get a different Bible translation. Get a different reading plan. Change your prayer plan. I'm changing things up this year. It's still kind of in, in flux. But from time to time, Cindy's sister was talking with her about this just on the phone just uh, this weekend about how she's made some major changes to her quiet time and how refreshing that is. If you feel stuck in your quiet time, change it. But spend time with God each day. The second is participate in a Bible-focused small group. Participate in a, in a Bible-focused small group. The best way to really change is in the company of others to be in community with others. You need their encouragement. You need their guidance. You also need just their fellowship and their friendship to help you as you interface with how God is working in your life. This is why we have community groups. I would encourage you, if you're not a part of a community group, you can, you can as Pastor Zach said earlier, you can take the little communication card and you can check that box and we'll get information to you. You can go online and you can join a community group. They're just getting going for the new year. So it's a great time to get connected. One of the keys to it is it needs to be a, a Bible-focused community group where you're interfacing with God's Word. And, and most of our groups are studying Scripture or, or definitely they're doing things that relate to scriptural teaching. And so I would encourage you to be a part of a, of a community group. Now, some of you are part of a community group and you feel kind of stuck, maybe. And I would encourage you, there are a couple things you can do. One is you could always change community groups. If you're in a community group and you feel like, you know, this is just not working for me, no one's feelings are going to be hurt. Okay, maybe someone's feelings will be hurt, but who cares? Uh, try a different group. Not only that, you can try working out how you are pursuing your Bible interface with that group. In other words, actually prepare for the group. Don't just show up cold, but take time to prepare Go through the lesson. I appreciate Greg prepares the lesson, and I, others do too. And, and uh, Cyrus's group that I'm a part of, we have lessons, and we work through those lessons. And if you actually invest the time to do that, you get much, much more out of it. But it needs to be biblically based because God's precious promises are how he works to change us. I was so encouraged. Some of the things we're going to be doing as a church to pursue this kind of stuff is develop our men's ministry and our women's ministry as well as our community group ministry. And I met with the women who will be leading our women's ministry a few weeks ago. And one of the things that really blessed me and encouraged me was they talked about we want it to be biblically focused. Now, every event is not going to be a Bible study. 
But the goal is to get women to interface with God's word. And that so blessed my heart because I think that's so important. Then there's a third discipline. First discipline, time alone with God. Second discipline, be a part of a Bible-focused small group, like a community group. And here's the third one. Pastor Zach, I may be going off the reservation on this one, okay? But here is the third one. Tithe. I mean, give to God the first 10% right off the top. Give to Him financially. Now, you might say, why in the world do you put that as a spiritual discipline, Pastor John? Well, it's because I'm a pastor, and pastors are money-grubbing guys who just want your money, isn't it? <laughs> no, that's what the culture thinks. Actually, it's because of what Jesus said. In Matthew 6, Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Nothing reflects our hearts like our finances. God does not need your money. God wants your heart. And those two things are connected in incredible ways. I saw that some years ago in our church here in Issaquah. There was a young mother who was a single mom with a couple of young kids. And she was poor. She had nothing. Her husband left her destitute. And one service at that time, we would, we would pass the offering plate during the offering. And one service, the offering plate was being passed. And I saw her take off her earrings and place them in the offering plate. Now understand, that it was cheap costume jewelry that was of no real value monetarily. But it so, I don't know how to explain it. It, it didn't break my heart. But when I saw the, the, the people collect the offering brought me the offering plate with those earrings, <laughs> what do we do with this? And I saw her do that. My first reaction, what would you do? My first reaction was I wanted to return them to her and say, listen, that was so great of you, uh, but we want you to keep them. But I couldn't do that. I talked with her about it, though, and she said, God has so graciously worked in my heart, I just had to give something. And that's all she had to give. That was like the widow's mite, the most valuable thing we've ever received that I've seen. And, and, and so our heart is tied to material stuff, and God wants our heart. And so I encourage you to give that first 10%. Now, people struggle with this, right? Some struggle because they don't have much. And, 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 and I, I get that. It's a matter of faith. I've been there too. And it's a matter of faith, saying, God, I'm going to honor you with the first 10% and trust you. Try that and see what God will do. Uh, some give because it's simply, struggle with giving simply because it's not a priority. I was talking about this once, and a woman came up to me afterwards, and she said, Pastor John, I, I can't afford to give 10%. And here's what she said, which clued me into what was going on. She says, after I finish paying all the bills, there's just not anything left over. Well, see, if God comes in after everything else, there's going to be a problem. I knew this particular woman in her context. She and her husband had just bought a brand-new big house on the Sammamish Plateau. They also just bought two new cars. And the moment she was talking to me was her first Sunday back after an expensive European vacation. 
Now listen, I, I don't want to sound like I'm judgmental about how people spend their money, but I know this. At some point, we have to decide that we're going to live on what 90% of our income can afford, and that's going to be the standard of life we're going to live on if we're going to honor God with that first 10%. And there are some people who just feel like, well, you know, I can just give a token. And there was a guy who was really wealthy. I mean, he, he made a boatload of money. And he talked to his pastor after a, a, a teaching on, on giving, and he said to his pastor, Pastor, I, I just make too much money to give 10%. If I gave 10%, it'd just be an unreasonable large gift. And so the pastor said, well, I tell you what, I will pray for you that God will diminish your income until it reaches a point where you feel comfortable <laughs> giving 10%. Giving 10% is a spiritual discipline that will open your heart to God in fresh ways. Spending time alone with God, being a part of a small group that's biblical-focused, and tithing. Now, there are a lot of other disciplines, but these three disciplines are three disciplines that are the most impactful, I think. And so I would simply ask you this morning, which of these three, which of these two of these three, or maybe all three of these three, do you need to commit to do right now before God? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I'm going to ask you as we bow in just a moment, just to commit to what God would have you do as a spiritual discipline, or maybe changing something in your spiritual discipline that you're doing. Um, Richard Foster writes, these disciplines are simply ways that we, are things that allow us to place ourselves before God so that he can transform us. Don't ever let things like this become legalistic religious things that you have to do. This is our placing ourselves before God, chaining our life where we're stuck to the power of the tide of God's grace to pull us out to make us to become more like Jesus. And so I'd like to pray for us. Father, I know that there are some things that are challenging for all of us. Our schedules, to have a time alone with you is just sometimes hard to do. And, and sometimes I miss it, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you're gracious and understanding. But how important it is. And God, to be a part of sharing my life with others who are seriously looking to your word. That we might teach each other and encourage each other in seeking to, to do what your word teaches. Thank you for our community groups. I pray that we'll make good use of those, that we'll not only sign up, that we'll actually show up, that we'll participate and faithfully make that a priority in our life to be a part of that community group. Thank you that you've blessed us with the resources that we have. I know none of us have enough, but help us honor you with that first 10% and trust you. We thank you, God, that you want to work in our lives to make us to become more like Jesus. Help our church as we seek to pursue this bold step of providing the resources for spiritual formation that we might all grow to become like Christ. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.